All right. Well, hey, good morning, New Life Church. How's everybody? Good to see you. Yeah, I was surprised to turn around and see Miss Betty standing behind me. She never sits right there. And so it was like, wow, Miss Betty, you're here and you're standing. And that's awesome. Good to see you, Miss Betty. Yeah. Good to see you today. Yeah. Um, well, let me invite you to open up the Word of God with me today. We're going to be uh, looking at two different places. First, in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, and then you're going to flip back and go ahead and hold it all the way back to the beginning, Genesis chapter 29. Ephesians 5, and then we're going to go back all the way back to the beginning, to Genesis chapter 29. Yeah, I just, uh, I just got to say that, uh, well, first it's good to be walking, thank God, uh, without crutches. Yeah, amen. Like Jeremy Cohn's shirt says, yay God. So, yeah, awesome. But um, I don't know what all the Lord's doing in you, Aaron, but he just got your number last week and this week. Church, is that okay if I, if I roll with this? Uh, um, I, this th- last week, you know, if you were here, you got a glimpse of what God said. And, and then today, um, that song, um, it, you, I felt like the Lord was just saying, you are prophesying your future. And, uh, and you weren't doing it begrudgingly. You were doing it with cheer and with sincerity, and with humility. And I don't know what all the Lord is working out in you and on your behalf and for your family, but I know He's at work. And, uh, and so I just wanted to, I felt like the Lord just wanted to reassure you that you are, the more you do what you're doing, and not necessarily on this stage, but in your heart throughout the week, the more you do that, God's saying you are prophesying your future and what I have planned for you. And he just basically don't stop doing that, okay? Don't stop doing it because I believe it's like, a, it's like a dam that's been opened up and now the water is free to flow. And now God's His Spirit and His presence, His Word, His promises, the things that He's spoken to you five, six, seven years ago that He spoke to you even at Youth America on Wednesday nights and at church and on your own. I think all those things are just a combination of dots and God's is like saying, I'm connecting them for you and I'm bringing it all together. And I know it might not make a whole lot of sense and it's not the, 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 the life you have is not necessarily what you envisioned and hoped for, but the Lord knows what he's doing. He just wanted to reassure you, you keep prophesying your future because he's given you a voice and you keep singing. And not just up here, certainly that's awesome and we get to benefit from that, but do it, continue to do that on your own in the private realm and God will bless you and continue to bring things out of you, okay? All right? Is that good? Amen. I don't know, that's two weeks in a row, so I don't, it's nothing, nothing unique there, just the Holy Spirit just wanted to let you know he loved you. Yeah, as he has done so well this morning, amen? Yeah, what an atmosphere. What an atmosphere uh, to be in, uh, 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 just a heart of worship in this church, and just to respond back to God, and that's what he's doing. He's, he's pouring out his heart. He's pouring out his love upon us, and, uh, and it's good to be reminded of that. It's helpful to be reminded of that, and, it, and it's just powerful. Uh, because when you have God's love, when, you, when God's love hits you and it wrecks you and it collides with you and it comes into your life, it changes you, right? God's love is powerful, it's mesmerizing, it's intoxicating. His love is intoxicating. And, uh, and so anyway, um, let's look at this today. Uh, last week, 
uh, uh, spoke on the topic of having a kingdom mind. Having a kingdom mind. You can go back to our website, newlifechurchofjackson.org, pull down sermons, and, and you, can, you can go back and, and listen to that uh, message from last week. But it just really, that, that, that message really is a, is, a, uh, is a precursor, a preface to, to many things uh, in the Word of God. Having the right mind, de- de- deciding to choose to have the mind of Christ and to live that way, to walk that way, to operate that way. It changes your outlook, your perception, your focus, everything about life, period, having the mind of God. Today I want to talk to you about a special topic uh, on marriage and relationships with, with the subtitle Expectations expectations. Now, because I said marriage or because I said relationships, I don't want you to, like, shut down on me and think this is just a Valentine's message and, and, you know, it doesn't appeal to me or it doesn't apply to me. I don't care where we are in our walk of life. Relationship is what we were designed for. God created us for relationship, okay? And so we're going to look at, a, look at something, but it's built on this idea of expectations. We all have expectations. We have, uh, some have healthy expectations, and some of us, we have some unhealthy expectations, and we all have a mixture of that at times, depending on where we are and what knowledge of truth of God's Word we have. But let's look at this here quickly in Ephesians 5, verse 31. The Apostle Paul writes, he says, As the Scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery. But it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Verse 33. So again I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. Let's go all the way back to the beginning, Genesis 29. We're going to look at this story. story of Jacob marrying, getting married. Then we're going to move on. Genesis 29, verse 16. It says, Now Laban had two daughters. The older daughter was named Leah, and the younger one was Rachel. There was no sparkle in Leah's eyes. But Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. Since Jacob was in love with Rachel, he told her father, Hey, I'll work for you seven years if you'll give me Rachel, your younger daughter, as my wife. Agreed, Laban replied. I'd rather give her to you than to anyone else. Stay and work with me. So Jacob worked for her, worked Uh, seven years to pay for Rachel, but his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but just a few days. Verse 21, Finally the time came for him to marry her, and he said, I have fulfilled my agreement, Jacob said to Laban. Now give me my wife so I can sleep with her. So Laban invited everyone in the neighborhood and prepared a wedding feast. But that night when it was dark, Laban took Leah to Jacob, and he slept with her, Leah. Laban had also given Leah a servant, Zilpah, to be her maid. But when Jacob woke up in the morning, it was Leah, not Rachel. He said, what have you done to me? Jacob raged at Laban. I worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? That's a doggone bad trick right there. (laughs) Verse 26, it's not our custom here to marry off a younger daughter ahead of the firstborn, Laban replied. But wait until the bridal week is over, and then we'll give you Rachel too, provided you promise to work another seven years for me. Almost done. Verse 28. So Jacob agreed to work seven more years. A week after Jacob had married Leah, Laban gave him Rachel too. Laban gave Rachel a servant as well, Bilhah, to be her maid. 
So Jacob slept with Rachel too, and he loved her much more than Leah, and he stayed and worked for Laban the additional seven years. Doesn't sound too good to start off that way, does it? Let's pray. God, I pray right now as the Spirit of, of, of heaven has already declared in our time and in this atmosphere that you love us. And you reminded us how much you love us today. And it is good to be wrapped in your arms, enveloped in your presence. And Lord, we're talking today about marriage relationships, expectations. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes. Help us to do everything we can, Lord, to stay engaged and understand what it is you want to teach us today from your word. Wherever we are in the spectrum of marriage and relationship, an early beginning one to a to one that's been around for years or one that's rocky and rough or one that's real solid and strong, wherever we are, maybe we're not married yet or not in relationship yet, wherever we are today, your word speaks to us. And I pray and ask that you would speak to every heart and every life and help me do it so in your ways. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone can say? Amen. amen. Well, it's good that everybody said amen. That means you didn't count me out just yet. Talk about this thing. Marriage, in God's eyes, is designed to reflect Christ's relationship with the church. That's what Paul talked about in Ephesians 5. Relationship, marriage, is designed in God's eyes to reflect Christ and his relationship with the church. God's relationship with humanity is built on and based on his love for us. His love. Can you say love? His love for us. And, and so, it's in, in, in spite of our indifference, in spite of our contempt, in spite of our uh, rejections at times to God's truth and His life and His ways towards us, it, in spite of different things, God it loves us, period. He loves us, and His relationship with us is built on that and based on His love. And so, He chooses to love us and forgive us in spite of our indifferences, in spite of our contempts, in spite of our shortcomings, in spite of our ignorance, in spite of our stubbornness at times. God loves us, period, anyways, and he chooses to love us and forgive us in spite of that. And that is one huge major key to any real relationship is love, to love and forgive in spite of to keep on loving in spite of, to keep on forgiving in spite of, to not hold grudge, to not hold things over our head, to not hold all that stuff against one another, but to keep doing so the way God does with us. Aren't you glad that God continues to love us in spite of ourselves? Come on, any real people out here today? Yeah. That He loves us in spite of those things. But here's the thing. One of the great challenges of relationship is our expectations the expectations that we have towards the other person or the other people in our relationships. We all have expectations, but that creates a challenge. In fact, some of the statistics say that 49% of marriages are in real problems. They have real, real problems, 49%, serious problems. And there are a lot of ingredients that help make up a happy and healthy marriage But one of the top ones is having healthy expectations. Yeah, having healthy expectations. So that's what we're going to talk about. I think Jacob's story here highlights four unhealthy expectations. That if we have these, maybe we've had them before, maybe you have them now, that that there's goodness and grace from God's word to help us change that. 
and to not have unhealthy expectations. Four unhealthy expectations about relationship. Number one is this, is that we expect exactly the same things. We expect exactly the same things. Jacob had these expectations that everybody else had, that he, he thought he, he had the same expectations that everybody else had. He went into this thing expecting one thing, and he thought, well, everybody involved is expecting the same thing that I'm expecting. And what was he expecting? He was expecting, hey, I'll work seven years, and I'm going to get Rachel. What happened? He worked seven years, and he got Leah. Talk about a letdown. He was expecting Rachel. Instead, he got Leah. He went in expecting, and he thought Laban and everyone else had the same expectations as him. So he woke up next morning, Leah. He's married to Leah. And he's like, well, this isn't not what I expected, right? It's not what I expected. Sometimes maybe, maybe your, your marriage, your relationships now, or your thoughts now about relationship, you think, man, this is not the what I thought it was going to be. This is not how I pictured and expected life to be, especially moving towards relationship and perhaps in relationship. But Jacob had this unhealthy expectation that he thought everybody thought and expected the same thing he did. And we live, uh, humans live by a couple different things. We live by unspoken rules and unconscious roles. Everybody has these unspoken rules. Every single one of us, we have unspoken rules, but those rules aren't spoken until somebody breaks the rule. Then we let everybody know about it, right? We have these unspoken rules that we live by. Don't interrupt me while I'm at work. Don't you call me. Don't you text me. Don't, don't mess with me. I'm trying to work. It's an unspoken rule, but then when that person breaks that rule, you let them know, hey, don't do that to me. And what's, what does that do? It creates friction, and it creates problems. But we, we, that's just one of many, many unspoken rules all of us have. We all live by unspoken rules. We also live by unconscious roles. We just go into relationships and marriage going into them with a certain role play based on the way we were brought up, based on our disposition, based on you know, tradition at home, how, how our parents were and their roles. And so we go into relationships and marriages thinking a certain way, expecting a certain thing to be that way. And when we get into that, we realize they don't expect the same role that I expect. Some, some roles of some spouses are you're the bookkeeper because that's what you did. That's what so-and-so did in your marriage, that's in your family. And so you became the bookkeeper and somebody else's role there, they're the shopper. They do all the shopping or somebody else in your, in your, your, your household, you play the role of the fixer. You fix everything. And everybody's got these unspoken rules and these unconscious roles. And what happens is when, when those things are crossed, when, when those expectations aren't met and appreciated, then it creates a dilemma. It creates a problem. Right? And the question we ask, well, what do we do? I don't think it's necessarily what do we do about the issue at that point in time. It's really... The question, I think the true question is, what are my expectations? What kind of expectations do I have? And so you do, we don't go into relationships automatically thinking the same thing, even expecting the same thing. We don't go into these things expecting the same exact thing. If you think that, let me just go ahead and tell you that right now, you're wrong. Amen. Nobody goes into a relationship all expecting 100% the same exact thing. 
right? This doesn't happen. So what do you do? You got these, you, get, you, you go in expecting one thing, you realize that, oh man, they're not thinking and expecting the same thing I am. We got these problems, we got these issues, we all got whatever. What do you do? I'm, here's, here's what most truth says. That is this. It's a novel idea. It's crazy. It's going to astound you. It's going to knock you back. You're like, talk. <laughs> talk. <laughs> Discuss your difference. Your differences. Discuss your different expectations. Because here's what happens. The more you discuss, the more you become knowledgeable of how to have a unified marriage. But you got to talk about it. You can't just expect them to read your mind. Even at going on 19 years of marriage this May for us, we still have to battle this number one unhealthy expectation. Because even though we've known each other now for 21 years, we've been married for 19, been in the same house, sleeping together for 19 years, you'd think, man, we got it all down. No, we still have unspoken rules and unconscious roles, and we still think, what's wrong with them? Don't they know me by now? Right? And what that does, it requires discussion. Talk. Talk. But we're not all that good at that, are we? A lot of us are not that good at communicating. But we've got to, first of all, make sure our relationship is built on love, the real love of Christ. And if so, it enables to give room to discuss differences, to come together and create a vision of a marriage that you want to have. But it requires talking. So, number one, unhealthy expectation. We expect exactly the same things, not true. Number two, we expect everything good in our relationship will get better. Unhealthy expectation number two, we expect everything good in our relationship will get better. Jacob expected that everything would just improve if he kept his head down. So what happens in this story, it goes on. He married married Leah, made an agreement with Laban. Hey, I'll work for you seven more years if you'll give me Rachel as my wife too. So that's what happened. He got married to Rachel and Leah. He works seven more years. Sounds like it might be okay, and that's what Jacob was thinking. If I just keep my head down, everything's going to be all right. Everything will be okay. Well, here's what happens. Leah starts to have some children. She has four sons with Jacob. Then what happens? Rachel gets jealous of Leah and gets mad at Jacob. You better give me some children, Jacob. Come on, son. Give me some children, man. And he's like, hold up. I'm not God. I didn't make you that way. She was getting jealous of Leah. Four sons, he's like, hey, here's the deal. You're going to take my maidservant, Bilhah, and you're gonna get, I'm going to give her to you as your wife, and then she's going to give you some kids. And then I'm going to have some children. So they had two through the maidservant, Bilhah. Crazy. Then that's not it. Then Leah gets jealous. She's like, whoa, wait up. What's, what's going on? I'm not having any more kids, but now Rachel's having kids through her maidservant. Jacob, I got a maidservant too. Her name is Zilpah. Right? Did I get that name right? Yeah, Zilpah. Here, I'm going to give her to you as a wife, and you can sleep with her, and she's going to give you some kids. Sounds good, right? So that's what happens. She had two kids. Zilpah gave Jacob two, two kids. 
So you got four, two, and six, and two is eight. Four, all of Leah's, two of a maidservant, and two more as a maidservant. You would think, man, this is, this is awesome. Jacob just thought, man, if I just keep my head down, everything's going to be all right. They're going to love me. I'm going to love them. We're going to live happily ever after, and I get what I want and all this stuff. But he was thinking. He expected everything good would get better. He had a marriage. He had, was having family, and he thought it was going to get better. But that's not the end of it. Here's what happens. Rachel uh, gets jealous of Leah some more. Reuben, Leah's oldest son, is out in the fields. He brings home, brings home some mandrakes to Leah to eat. And, and Rachel's like, hey, give me some of those mandrakes. I need some of those. And Leah's like, hey, is it not enough that you done stole my husband and now you're going to steal my mandrakes too? <laughs> and she's like, well, I tell you what I'll do. I'll let you sleep with Jacob tonight if you just give me the mandrakes. This stuff's in the Bible. That's crazy, right? This stuff's in the Bible. This is where the patriarchs come from. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Jacob gets home from working, and Leah's waiting for him, and she's like, guess what? You get me tonight. I, don't, I paid for you with the mandrakes, and you're going to leave with me, and it's all going to be good. And he's like, Fine by me. So they have two more sons and then one more daughter. And then Rachel's like down and depressed. And God sees her and blesses her to have another child. And that child is Joseph. Joseph the dreamer. Joseph the dreamer. You know, Joseph in the amazing, colorful coat. I don't know the... The uh, Technicolor coat, whatever it's called, that coat. So Joseph, but anyway. So gives you a picture, kind of in the background, of some of these people. So Joseph, or excuse me, Jacob expected everything good would just get better if he kept his head down. But man, what a crazy story! I mean, that's like a conglomerate of several soap operas and talk shows, like Maury and what are the other ones? I don't know. Yeah, I thought you might know those. Here we spring. <laughs> I set you up. I set you up. Here's the truth. The truth is, is not everything gets better just because we get married. It just doesn't happen. Not everything gets better. However, many things improve, but some things do get difficult and complicated. I could say it that way. Many things do improve, but other many things, other things also get difficult and complicated. And so here's what we have to do. If we expect that everything good in our relationship would just get better, if we just keep our head down and just carry on, then nothing will ever change. What do we have to do? We have to invest ourself, our whole self, our heart, soul, mind, and strength into the relationship. We can't hold back. We've got to lose ourselves in this thing. What Paul talks about in Ephesians 5, the two will become one. It's a mystery, but it's an illustration of Christ and the church. Because here's the deal. What God wants the world to see in his people is Jesus. How does that happen when Jesus becomes one in his people? 
when he becomes the main in his people. And that's what we have to do in our relationships is not stop investing. Because if you stop investing, then you won't get a return. If you want your return to be good, you want your return to be great, if you want your return to be healthy, you want your return to be good and fun and all the other things that can happen, then you've got to keep investing. Invest your whole self into the relationship. You've got to be willing to lose your carefree lifestyle. Meaning, hey, I don't just get to do what I want to do. I'm going to go hang with whoever. I'm going to go this way. I'm going to make decisions just because I can. And I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. I'm going to spend X amount of dollars because I work too or I got it and I can make it. No, you have to consult and remember your marital responsibilities first. That you can't just do what you want to do. It doesn't happen that way. If you want a God-honoring marriage, and if you want God to really bless your union, you got to lose your carefree lifestyle. And here's another one. you got to lose your idealized image of your spouse. We all have an idealized image of the person that we're marrying and that we're in, involved with. We have this idealized image. We think this certain thing because we only see a certain image. Time goes on. You get married and you go through some life. You go through some stuff and you start to see the real person of who you marry. But what happens when we start to see the real person? We have decisions to make. How are we going to do it? What are we going to do here? Are we going to stick it out? Are we going to make it work? Are we going to keep investing in this thing? Or are we going to bolt? Are we going to run? It just depends. It depends on who you are and what you're doing. But here's the thing. We can't stop investing into our relationship, whatever it is. Because if we have this unhealthy expectation that everything good in our relationship will get better, then we're going to constantly be let down. Going to constantly be let down. This is not what I signed up for. This is not who I married. Who are you? Where did you come from? Can I go back 12 years and ask for my bride to come back? Can I go back 12 years and ask for my husband to come back? Because that's not who I thought you were. Life has a way of changing us. Life has a way of really bringing out the good, the bad, and the ugly, the right and wrong, and everything in between, right? Right? You falling asleep on me, church? Okay. So we got another gift card to give away if you stay awake. I'll find a gift card somewhere. Somebody in your purse. Somebody's got a gift card. Number three, unhealthy expectation. We expect everything bad in our life will disappear. We expect everything bad in our life will disappear. Jacob expected the bad things to disappear if he would just move. And that's where he found himself. He's like, hey, it's time for me to go. i got to get up out of here. It's time for me to take my two wives, my two maidservants, and the, all my kids, and all my livestock, and all my possessions, and Laban, I just, I, I've been here long enough. It's time for me to go. I need a new start. I need a fresh start. I need a new beginning, right? I need a new beginning. I need a fresh outlook. I need a whole new place. And he thought, man, everything bad now, it's just going to disappear. It's going to be gone because I'm going to move. Well, here's what happened. They had this little conversation Jacob and Laban did. Laban didn't think Jacob really was man enough to do it. He didn't think he'd actually leave. 
And so Jacob got everybody together and his family and packed everything up, and he didn't tell Laban where he was going or when he was leaving, and they just left. They just said, it's time to go. His wives were like, yeah, let's do it. Let's get on. Let's roll out of here. Let's, let's bounce. Let's do it. Let's get out of here. Let's start a whole new thing. And so they left. They didn't tell Laban. Here's the thing. Here's what happened. Laban got a posse together, and he tracked those jokers down in seven days. The Bible says in hot pursuit. Found them. Laban and his relatives found Jacob and his wives and his children and his livestock and his possessions in seven days. And God warned Laban. He said, hey, do not mess with Jacob. But it didn't stop Laban from having this intense conversation with, with Jacob, trying to intimidate him and, and get the upper hand on him and all these things. And so Jacob thought, man, if I'll just move, <clears throat> then everything bad will disappear. But who showed up? The bad. Laban showed up. And friends, we, we, we can't think that just because we get married or we get involved in relationship that everything bad will disappear. Too many people marry, get involved in relationships just to escape or avoid unpleasantness. It happens all the time. So if you're not married, don't do it to avoid or escape unpleasantness. You need to hold out. You need to wait. Seriously. If you might, you might be in, in pain, you might be lonely, or whatever you're feeling, listen, you don't get married to cover that up. All right? You don't get married to cover that up. I'll say three things about this. One, marriage isn't a substitute for inner spiritual healing. Marriage isn't a substitute for inner spiritual healing. Number two, marriage doesn't erase personal pain or eliminate loneliness. Marriage doesn't erase personal pain or eliminate loneliness. Number three, marriage cannot instantly cure our ills. If you get married for those reasons, you're getting married under false pretenses, and you're not going to have a real marriage. You're going to have a false one. It's going to be built on happily ever after, the Cinderella story, and all those things. Very few times does anything ever work out like that. So we cannot expect that everything bad in our life will disappear just because we pursue a relationship. Too many people, honestly, seriously, too many people hook up with people and try to pursue a relationship and, 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 and talk themselves into believing that this is the right thing to do when they have not dealt with anything in their past. And if you don't take time now before marriage and deal with anything in your past, you get married and you're going to add baggage after baggage after baggage after baggage after baggage upon and it's going to be real hard to go through that baggage and sort, oh, this is not good, and put that here. That's not good. But you're going to be spending a long, hard days, and there's going to be some big fights involved. There's going to be some big fight. There's going to be some cuss words flying. I don't care how saved you are. <laughs> you get mad enough at somebody, doggone, and you'll be surprised what comes out of your mouth. Got a story for you. I took my eldest daughter, Eden, she's 10, to a concert Thursday night. We went and saw Lady, no, I'm teasing. I didn't take her to see Lady Gaga. Uh, to, I was going to see what y'all do. Uh, I took her to see Toby Mac. Toby Mac was in concert. Anybody, Toby, any Toby Mac fans? A few? A few, yep. Um, anyway, he had a lot of artists open up for him, and he had this one open up. Uh, his name is Warren Barfield. He's an artist, but he didn't play. He didn't sing. He spoke. 
And he shared this story. He said, my wife and I have been married at, uh, at, at, for six years when he was talking about the story. He said, it's six years. They've been married now 15, so it's six years. He said, um, one night I had some friends over. And I had buddies over, and we were just hanging out. And he said, he said my wife's real neat, you know, a neat freak, real OCD, real clean, likes to keep the vacuum carpet lines going all the time. You know, he said, if you mess up a vacuum carpet line in my household, it is up to you to fix that vacuum carpet line. And he said, it is not good. And he said, one night my buddies were over, and I dropped a pretzel on that carpet. And my wife gave me the look, the look of death and, dis- and destruction, like the angel of, of death was looking at me. And so I looked over at my buddies, and I got up, and I thought, I'm going to show them I ain't afraid of this woman. <laughs> he took a, a handful of pretzels and dropped them on the floor. Yeah, he did. He said, my friends looked at me. My friends looked at my wife. My wife looked at me, looked through me, and saw my friends, and my friends got up and left. (laughs) They left me, he said. He said, that night, we argued so hard, so bad, I cussed out my wife, and we said, this thing is over. She cussed me, I cussed her, we name, we, you name anything in the book, we said it and we threw it at each other, and we said, this is over, been married six years, over a pretzel. <laughs> but he said, you know what the real fight was? It was not about a pretzel. It was about everything that we had not given to the Lord prior, that had built up over six years. And he said, now we're married 15 years now, two kids, nine years later. He said, this is what we decided to do. He said, all that energy and all that combustion and all that focus and stuff built up to fight against each other, we decided, hey, why don't we use all that to fight for each other? Use that to fight for each other. And he said, so we started doing that, doing what we needed to do to listen to what our pastor said, to go to counseling and hear the truth, to do the hard work and do our homework and to do all those things and make ourselves accountable and humble and transparent. But instead of fighting against, we're gonna, we started fighting for. We realized that, hey, not everything bad in our life disappeared because we got married. We invested ourselves, and we realized what was true. Amen. You guys got time for one more? <laughs> Appreciate your kindness. <laughs> That's just a preacher's polite way to say, I got the podium. <laughs> no, but I, I, I want you to hear it. I want you to receive it. The little, number four, four unhealthy expectations. One, we expect exactly the same thing. Not true. Number two, we expect everything good will get better. doesn't happen automatically. Number three, we expect everything bad in our life will disappear. Not so. Number four, we expect that our spouse will make us whole. We expect that our spouse will make us whole. Proverbs 27, 17 says that as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Marriage definitely is a God-given way to improve and hone our beings, absolutely, because of this, because marriage challenges us to new heights 
and calls us to be the best person possible. Does that. But neither marriage nor our spouse will magically make us whole. See, the world's thought, outlook, and perception and approach towards relationship is that that person completes them. And that is so false and so not true. A person cannot complete another person because a person is not perfect. God is perfect. God completes a person. Here's how it works. One whole person marries one whole person, and it equals one whole marriage. An incomplete person marrying an incomplete person, meaning minus true God in their life, equals an incomplete marriage. You follow me? Follow the word? So we unhealthy expectation that we expect our spouse will make us whole is just not true. It helps. Marriage, relationship helps because we sharpen each other. We, we, we know what buttons to push. We know, boy, I push that. Something's going to come out ugly, right? And that doesn't mean that's right. It doesn't mean it's good to do that. We've got to learn to refrain. There's a lot more other truths and principles and things we've got to put into practice, but we're just talking about expectations right now. See, Jacob found himself in that kind of place. Jacob expected his life to be complete through his wives, through his children, through his possessions. And somehow I think Jacob thought, all that will complete me, all that will make me whole. So by the time you get to chapter 32 in Genesis, Jacob has left Laban. They made a treaty. Laban went back. Jacob went on. Jacob took his wives, his children, his possessions. And he was actually on his way to meet his brother Esau, whom years earlier he had deceived and taken advantage of. And he had put his whole hope in his wives and his children and his possessions, thinking that will make me whole. I look good to the standards of the world. Uh, you know, I compare, I measure up, I got this, I got that, I have this going for me, everything's good, people look at me, think Jacob must have it going on. And he got two wives, two servants. Look at all his possessions. But Jacob was not whole. He was not whole. And here's what happened. It said that Jacob took his wives, his children, his possessions, and he sent them across the other side of the Jabbok River. Very important verse, 32, 24. Genesis 32, 24. It said then, and then took them across. Jacob stayed, and it said Jacob was then left all alone. He was left all alone. And then here's what happened. A man appeared out of nowhere. Now the understanding behind that man who appeared out of nowhere is a theological term, theophany, is an image of God on earth. And it said that man wrestled with Jacob. All night long, wrestled with Jacob. And what he did is that he touched Jacob's hip, and Jacob's hip went out of socket. Right? And I've never had one go out of hip. I've broken some bones, and those hurt. But going out of socket, I'm told, hurts pretty bad, too. Pretty bad. 
touched his hip, it went out of socket. So then they carried on, and Jacob's like, hey, do not let go of me, and I will not let go of you unless and until you bless me. you got to bless me. I'm not letting go of this thing. I'm not giving up that easy. And so here's what happened. The man from heaven said, all right, you're Jacob, but I'm going to change your name. God will change your name. You're no longer going to be Jacob. You're going to be uh, Israel. You're going to change your identity. First he changed his disposition. Then he changed his identity. And then it said the fight ended. The sun came, was coming up, and Jacob looked at everything, and he, called, and he named this place where this, whole, where this whole contact, this experience, this encounter happened with God. He named it Face of God. And he said, because I have seen God face to face, and my life has been spared. So God changed his disposition, changed his identity, changed his perception, which means his expectations were there altered and changed. Jacob had a life of unhealthy expectations, which was leading to an unhealthy outcome. Nothing was working out the way he wanted it to, the way he needed it to, or the way he thought it would. Nothing was. The thing that changed Jacob, the thing that changed his future, his destiny, was this, was he was all alone with God. He got a hold of God. God got a hold of him. And it changed his disposition, his walk. It changed his identity, who he was. And it changed his perception, his expectation. Now, I propose to everyone here that if we want anything in our life to change, the majority of the time it's not the other thing that needs to change. It's in the eye of the beholder that needs to do the changing. And if you and I, we want our relationships to truly blossom, to be filled with good, bliss, happiness, love and joy, stability, peace, you name all the good kind of things that you want to come out of a relationship. The way that happens, first and foremost, is we get a hold of God and we let God get a hold of us. And Jacob's like, I'm not letting go. I'm not going to be okay with just the way things are. I need a different thing to happen. I need a change. I need the outcome to be different. God, I need, I, I don't know, what, all the things that went on in the interchange of that conversation and that wrestling match between Jacob and God, but I do know the outcome was what Jacob really needed to happen in his life. And it only happened because Jacob got a hold of God and God got a hold of Jacob. So whether you're pre-marriage, whether you're in marriage, or whether you're post-marriage, through divorce, through widow, whatever, we're all on this earth still, and and, and the earth is full of people. God made us. And the common core ingredient in all of that is relationship. And it all depends, the outcome on relationship depends a whole lot on expectations. But our expectations cannot be healthy unless we allow our souls 
to be healthy and get our souls healthy. And the way that happens, we get our mind, our heart, our thoughts, our inner being healthy. You know how that works? Get a hold of God and let God get a hold of you. And it's amazing what he'll do. He'll fill you with love. He'll fill you with forgiveness. He'll fill you with hope. He will fill you with joy. He'll fill you with confidence. He'll fill you with security. He'll fill you with good perception. He'll fill you with all the right things. But it is a whole lot harder and more difficult once you're in the middle of it in a relationship. And because what happens? The wrongs are magnified in the other person. And it's easy to point at the other person than to take ownership of our own faults, right? I mean, it's so, so much easier to say, you did this, you're wrong, what's your problem, what's your deal, you're not who I thought you were, this is not what I signed up for, this is not what is supposed to be going on, and all those things. And there's probably truth in a lot of the things you think or say, but here's the reality of it. Yourself, myself, God, I need you to get a hold of me. So, I need God to get a hold of me, and I need to get a hold of God. Amen? And so that's what I want to I believe for, for you, for your life, for my own life. I'm not a guy up here that's got everything together, that's perfect in all of my ways. No, I'm not. We have some letdowns in our marriage, and I'm probably 99% of the contributor of those letdowns. And I know that, man, if I want to be happy and I want to be fulfilled, I got to let God get a hold of me, and I need to get a hold of God. Amen? Here's what I like to do. I like to close and... Just pray, I want to pray over, over us all because we're, we're all in different places of life and you know, especially in, in relationship. But there's a larger percentage of us in our church here that are married than not married. It was just one reason I wanted to talk about this. The Lord wanted me to share these things. But other, also there are other people that are not yet married that will one day get married. And if you, if you hear nothing else, if you will take those this story and these, this outline of this, of this message and, and apply it to your life and get it in your heart and get it in your mind, it will help you out. Obviously, there's a whole lot more preparation, things you could do to lay the groundwork to be uh, getting prepped for marriage. But it, this is a big starting point right here, healthy expectations. Healthy expectations. But I want to pray for all of us. I would, if, you're, if you are married, I, I would like for you to... Uh, I'm going to ask everybody to stand. But if you are made, I'd like for you to just grab the hand of your spouse. If they're in here with you. If you're not married, due to whatever, due, due to whatever circumstance, whatever circumstance, maybe you're not there yet to even get married. Maybe you have been, done that, and you're like, that was tough. Wherever you are in that, I also want to pray for you. Because re regardless of where we are, we all need God. 
to be the center of our life. And we need Him to be the one that we allow to love us unconditionally no matter what happens in our life. If you're confident in the love of God for you, you're going to be okay. If you're confident in God's love for you and you're secure in that, here's the deal. You don't need a person to affirm you. I'm not anti-relationship or anti-marriage. No. I believe it's biblical and God-ordained. What I'm telling you is before anything, let God be the one to be the greatest rock in your life. Let Him be the one to put a ring on it. He did, in fact, 2,000 years ago. He put a ring on it at the cross. And He said, I paid the highest price for your life. And there's not a person who can pay the, for the biggest diamond or the, or the purest gold that will love you as much as I love you. God, God put a ring on it over 2,000 years ago on a cross called Calvary. And he shed his blood and he gave his life for you. You were bought at such a high price. Every single one of us were bought at such a high price. So don't let any person con you into thinking they're the answer to your pain. It's not worth it. Don't give yourself to them. If they continue to put themselves in front of God as his image to you, here's what, they wrong. And you're going to have and experience several letdowns and setbacks that will take another message series of some kind to help you out. (laughs) My point is this. Open your heart to the Lord and let him love you. Let him love you. Amen? So if you're married, you got your spouse's hand. If you're not, it's cool. You need to be okay with that right now. You need to be okay with that right now. Let's bow our heads. Father God, I thank you so much for every life and every person here today. Come, we're at different stages. So I just love our church for that. Multi-generational and multicultural and racial and that. But it also brings a lot of different perspectives of life. And I can't possibly tackle all those in one thing for today, but I know there's one thing you wanted, us to, you wanted to get across today, and that was have the right kind of perception, which gives you the right kind of expectation, a healthy one. Lord, and I pray today, first and foremost, that every one of us would have the right perception of you, that you are good, that you have drawn us with an everlasting love, and you are faithful You are so faithful. You never let us down. That we can count on you. So prophetic to have that song today. To be reminded we can count on you and you never let us down. We can all benefit from that understanding, that truth in our hearts and our lives today. That maybe we are wanting something good and wanting some, the right kinds of things to come out of a relationship. And they will. But that's not where it begins. It begins with you. So I pray today that you would love every single one of us with your everlasting love. Every person, any person here today that doubts that, that doesn't understand that, that maybe doesn't even believe that today, that I pray this for them, that their hearts will be open to receive your love. And that you would give them the spirit of understanding to know how, how high and how wide, how deep and how long your love is in Christ Jesus for us. 
You gave your life for us. You paid the ultimate highest price to ever be paid for the human soul, the life of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And Lord, I pray for every person in a relationship, especially those who are in covenant of marriage, that you would strengthen them. Lord, wherever they're at, maybe that some are rocky today, some are rough. Some, Lord, are just, they're just, they're in a, in a desert place right now. Others are in good standing. They're blissful, they're blooming, and they're healthy. But may we never take that for granted. So I pray today you would protect every marriage, protect every relationship, guard every covenant that's here today. I pray that you would place your hand on their life today in a strong way and to encourage them and to remind them that as they continue and that they will look to you, you will help them. That you would help us, Lord, to get a hold of you. And we would allow you to get a hold of us. We don't want to go forward anymore into this new year with the baggage that any of us have been carrying. You, you, you tell us, that, are you tired? Are you weary? Are you worn out? Then trade your burdens for me. Come to me, I'll give you rest for your souls. And I pray, Lord, that we would do that. We would take whatever baggage, whatever issue, whatever struggle, whatever letdown, whatever discouraging thing that we let to be huge in our life right now, we would give it to you. And by your Spirit, you would seal this word in every heart and every life. And you would help us, God, to continue to walk in a good relationship with you to where you do change our walk, where you do change our identity, and where you do change our perception and give us the right kind of expectation for you and people, especially the marriage one. Guard this word, cover it in our life, I pray, and help all of us move forward from here on out, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.